Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Right. Those of you who are still old school, who have like hard copy Bibles, you're welcome to open with me at... uh, um, well, Hebrews chapter 10, and those of you who do it on your phones, you're welcome to do it as well. I'm just going to, um, we, we've been talking a bit about habits. Beginning of the year, um, often we, we, you know, people make New Year's resolutions. And um, I, was, I was sharing the, the fact that so often New Year's resolutions don't, don't work well, well. And, uh, you know, they, they don't last. Okay, you guys want to plug me in. And um, what, what I was suggesti- suggesting, just in short, is that instead of making big resolutions, why don't we cultivate small habits? Because, you know, when you make these big resolutions, you, how can we put it? Overcommit and underdeliver. <laughs> you know, by February, mid-February, you know, you've sort of fallen off the wagon and, you know, things aren't working out as the way that you hope to because that's not the way change works. We, we, we don't um, usually change like that. But if we cultivate small habits and the right small habits, they lead to big changes over our lives. Uh, and, and we want to help one another to develop and cultivate little habits that make a big difference. So um, we've been speaking about um, habits from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we see there that uh, it says they, the early church, devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when it says they devoted themselves, it's in a sense talking about habits. Uh, I'm not going to you know, bore you with the grammar like I usually do. Yay. But <laughs> Luke really get, makes the... The, the grammar there in the Greek very messy. He doesn't, he doesn't actually say they devoted themselves. He says they were devoting themselves, you know. And, and he has like this, this awkward construction. But in order to emphasize one thing, the continual repetition of doing these things over and over again. Uh, he, he, he wants to emphasize that they did this over and over and over again. In other words, it was a habit. They were radically committed to habits of learning, habits of being together, habits of eating and remembering together, breaking of bread, and habits of praying together. And we should as well. And um, a habit is basically something that you've done enough times, you've repeated enough times so that it comes automatically. So it basically, you can do it without thinking, so it basically becomes a knee-jerk reaction. Okay. Um, and, and we actually see uh, the, the we, we actually see this uh, in the early church. Let me just uh, read you that passage. To, to, tonight we're going to focus on habit of fellowship. Okay, developing a habit of fellowship, uh, and it says uh, in Acts two verse forty two, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, we see here that their fellowship was not just a getting together to care or to bry. I mean, it was that as well, but it wasn't just that. They actually 
um, shared. They had things in common. They, 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 they shared life and they invested in one another. They, they took care of one another like family. Uh, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 23, we see an example of this. Now, what happened in, in chapter 4 is Peter and John are going to the temple in the beginning of chapter 4, and they pass a guy who's lame, was born lame, sitting at the temple gate begging. And to make a long story short, God does a miracle through them, and this guy is healed, and he runs with them into the temple, and they start preaching in the name of Jesus. And, you know, everyone, you know, start drawing a massive crowd, and obviously the Pharisees and the you know, Sadducees and the, the guys who want to maintain the status quo, they're starting to get really nervous, and they sort of, you know, stop this whole thing and uh, get them and drag them before the Sanhedrin. And what they do is they threaten them, and I say to them, you, you're no longer allowed to preach in this name. And they actually beat them and flog them. Now, just think about this for a moment. If you've just been in public in front of those leaders, basically stripped naked and beaten with rods and whips until your back was raw, Upon release, what would be the first thing you would do? I mean, at that stage when you're in pain and, and, and you, you're not going to feel good, just, you know, in case you, you, you couldn't deduce that from my explanation or from, from my description, you're not going to feel very good. You're not going to be thinking much. You're going to pretty much do what has become a habit in your life. And, and what we see them doing, look, at, look in, in, in Acts 4 verse 23 over here, it says, Oh, hang on. Uh, here we go. Over there. Uh, and when they were released, they went to their friends, literally in the Greek it says their own, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So Peter and John, they'd just been publicly humiliated and flogged and beaten and threatened, and their knee-jerk reaction is, we're going to go to our small group and we're going to tell them. What just happened, and we're going to pray. We're not going to deal with this alone. Can you see how committed, when it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, they were so committed to it, it became such a knee-jerk reaction that no matter what happened, their response was, and then when you, <laughs> when you see what they do when they go to their small group, is they pray, they, 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 they quote scripture, all that kind of stuff. They do all the things that they've been devoting themselves to because it, it has become automatic. It's become a knee-jerk reaction, their knee-jerk reaction, their habits. And um, we see actually the same thing in the life of Jesus and, and, and Paul. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And Jesus, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. And then he read that portion of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. In Acts 17, we see a similar thing with Paul. Uh, and it says, and as was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he ministered to them from the word. And we should likewise develop habits. Now, the, the problem with um, not developing habits is it takes effort. It takes energy to make decisions. And we have only so much mental and emotional energy per day. So the things that we're supposed to do every day must become habits in our lives so we don't have to decide them, so we just do them automatically. And that's the only way life and Christianity is sustainable. 
if it becomes not just something that we consciously do, but something that we consciously do so many times that we do it automatically, that we no longer have to concentrate to do it. It becomes a habit. And fellowship should be one of those habits. The word there in the Greek is koinonia, um, fellowships, close associating, sh- associations, sharing, intimacy with one another. Okay, so I, I just want to, and, and I've, uh, I'm, I'm going to share from um, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Uh, it's really a favorite scripture for me, and I've shared, shared on this scripture before, so some of you might have heard this. And I just want to share um, some amazing wisdom that the writer of the Hebrew gives us around fellowship. Just practically, um, to make it really powerful and profound, um, that, that I think will really you'll really find helpful. Just think about it this way: not all fellowship is good, right? Not all fellowship is upbuilding. I, I always think of that. There's a scripture in Proverbs where it says, um, it, "It's it's better to 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 live in the desert." than to, to share a house with a contentious wife. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on wives. What I'm, I mean, you know, husbands can be contentious as well. But what I'm trying to say is that there's a certain kind of fellowship that's actually not upbuilding. In, in other words, there's a certain kind of fellowship that's worse than isolation, being in the desert. Okay? So we're talking, not every fellowship is, not every kind of fellowship is good in upbuilding. Uh, there are other scriptures like... Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, that says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. Okay, so not all fellowship is good. So, um, you know, the fellowship we keep will form us either for the better or for the worse. So, so what, what, what this scripture talks about is, you know, the kind of fellowship that really builds up, that really changes us for the better. So it says in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Talking about habits, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the amazing thing that that the writer to the Hebrews here says is that fellowship starts before you get together. I don't know if you see it there. He says, he's talking about fellowship, but he he says... um, let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good deeds. In other words, if you want to have the kind of fellowship that God intended for us, then we must start doing something before we get together, before we actually enter into that fellowship. What should we do? We should consider. Now, let me just... First say this. this, this actually, when it says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, it assumes that you're going to get together with people who are not perfect. People who don't always love and people who don't always do good works. Okay? That's encouraging to me because I'm such a person. That should be encouraging to you because the people in your small group are also such people. <laughs> and you are also such a person. So this assumes that it's a getting together of people who are imperfect. People who are under construction. People who are still on the way. People who have to wear like boards around their necks that say, beware, under construction, wear your hard hat and steel tip boots, you know, construction site, okay? So this assumes that the fellowship is between people that's not perfect. In other words, you don't need perfect people to have perfect fellowship. 
That's good news. I like that. Okay? We guarantee that, the, that when we get together, we're a bunch of imperfect people getting together. But as you're going to see, something amazing happens when, when we as imperfect people, um, imperfect Christians get together. So let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We must um, reflect deeply. That word consider um, means to reflect deeply, to think deeply. To, to first observe, but then to think about what we see. It's, for instance, used in uh, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says that we must um, consider Jesus, the apostle and forerunner of our faith. In other words, we must look to Jesus. We, we did it when we were singing those songs. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. That was what we were doing. We were considering Jesus. We were looking to Jesus. We were thinking about him. We were reflecting on him. We were savoring him. Okay? And, and that's what it says we must do with one another. Another scripture in, in Luke, um, I'm not going to read it now, but if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Luke 12, verse 24 and 28, there's that portion where Jesus says, Consider the lilies. And, and how beautiful they are. I mean, if, if God so dresses, I mean, not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed as, as one of these. But if God so clothes the lilies, which are there today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he take care of you, or you of little faith? So he says, consider the lilies. Words, look at them, but don't only look at them. Think about what you see and learn the lesson from it. In other words, there's a deep reflection that goes with it. So what he's saying is consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. In other words, if we want to have this kind of fellowship, before we do the fellowship, we must do preparation. So the first step is preparation. The preparation is considering how to stir one another up. We must think about the people we're going to fellowship with. We must pray for them. We must consider them. We must meditate on them. How has God put them together? What are their strengths and weaknesses? What is going to stir them up to love and good works? In other words, if we want to be people who are good at fellowship, we must learn to listen well to the people we fellowship with, to observe them and to think about them and pray about them so that we can encourage them specifically, stir them up to love and good works in the areas which they specifically need. Now, Jesus did this. I never knew this. I thought Jesus was this you know, big, like, serious, holy guy. And, and when he wasn't with people, he was thinking about Scripture because that's... Pretty much what I'm like. And I thought Jesus was like me. But Jesus is not like me. He's much better than me. <laughs> he did think about scripture. And he did read a lot of scripture. I mean, you see that when he's tempted in the desert, you know, he's, he just quotes scripture. You know, it is written. It is written. When he's hanging on the cross being tortured to death, he was bleeding scripture, literally. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, you know, all kinds of other scriptures. So, you know, he was memorizing scripture. And he was uh, meditating on it by all means. But what I didn't notice until... A while ago is when, when it mentions, for instance, in Mark 3, when it mentions the 12 apostles, when it lists them, it says, uh, you know, refers to Cephas, which was Peter's Aramaic name, uh, whom Jesus called Peter. So Jesus gave him the nickname Peter, which means rock. Okay? Cephas means reed. Peter means rock. And it... It, it talks about James and John, whom Jesus called sons of thunder. Now, you know when you were at school and so on, there was always that guy who gave people nicknames. And they were someone, usually, that could sort of sum someone up, that, that, that would think about someone, they could read people, they could sort of understand people and then give appropriate nicknames. And Jesus 
was that guy. I didn't realize that. Jesus was that guy. He didn't only study and think about Scripture deeply. He thought about people deeply. So much so that he could say, yes, your name is Reed, but actually you're a rock. You don't even know it yet, but you're a rock. Yes, you guys, you're sons of thunder. You know, you, you want to just call down thunder upon people. You're sort of wild and wonderful, but you, I love your passion, you know. You brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, you're sons of thunder. And what it's saying is we should be able to, we should also think about people like that. We should also meditate, observe and meditate on people like that. Get to know people like that. So, yes, we should interpret scripture, but we should also interpret people. We should interpret one another. And then when we considered one another, we'll, we'll be able to consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. So, <clears throat> fellowship starts with preparation. Thinking, considering how can we stir one another up uh, to love and good works. And that, and that word stir up there means to provoke, to, to agitate, to activity. In other words, it assumes that in our sinfulness... We want to be passive and not love and not do good works because that's just easier. It's just easier. You know, in our, in our human fallenness, we're just lazy. We, 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 it, it, it's sometimes hard work. It takes sacrifice to, to, to actually love people and to do good things for them. And in our natural state, we would want to not do that. But, but this says we must think about how can we stir, how can we agitate one another, how can we provoke one another. To love and good works. And and notice it's love and good works. Doing the right thing, good works, for the right reason, love. Which covers basically the whole of the Christian life. And each of us needs to be stirred up and provoked and agitated in a specific way in order to get us into love and good works into doing the right thing for the right reason. Okay, so preparation. The first step to fellowship is preparation. The, the second step is presence. It says not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the, the habit of some. So, so not neglecting the gathering of ourselves together. And it's interesting, it's, it, it, um, the writer to the Hebrews, that's why it's called Hebrews, he's writing to Hebrew Christians here. In other words, Jews who have become Christians, but who are also in danger, they're being persecuted, and they're in danger of falling back, you know, letting go of Christ and, and again returning just to Moses. Even though, you know, the writer to the Hebrews says, Christ is greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the, the, sacri- the, 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 the sacrifice, but greater than the temple. So he's, he's showing them how Christ is greater than everything in Judaism and actually fulfills everything in Judaism. So he's writing to Hebrew Christians, and then he says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. And when he talks about gathering of yourselves together, he uses a word uh, in, the, in the Greek, episunagoge, the prefix epi, and then a word that sounds like synagogue, synagogue. Okay, a word that they would have known. Because a synagogue is where Jews gathered together to worship God and receive his word. So he's saying, do not neglect the, the gathering of yourselves together, the synagoguing of yourselves together to worship God and receive his word. So he's specifically thinking not just of fellowship in general, but specifically of fellowship like we're doing tonight, gathering together to worship God and receive his word. Okay, but here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. 
That very same word is used in the New Testament when it's talking about Christ at his second coming gathering us together. Same word, episynagogue. In, for instance, Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1, it says uh, when Christ comes and he gathers us together. He uses exactly the same word. And here's, here's a bit of the, the deepness of what this guy is writing to us, the writer to the Hebrews. When we gather together like this, we are prophetically pre-enacting what Christ will do when he returns by gathering us together. And we do this gathering and gathering in small group, gathering together to worship God and receive his word in anticipation of him gathering us together on that day. Um, so here's a, a quote I, I read from a guy called Tony Payne. He says, none of the important things God has for you to do every week at church can happen if you're not there. That's so obvious, it's actually profound. None of the important, the same thing can be said, for instance, for small group. None of the important things that God has for you to do every week at small group can happen if you're not there. So not only do we need preparation, we need presence. We actually have to be there. We actually have to show up. I remember hearing a story of, I mean, just showing up is really powerful. People who become excellent at something, they always show up, whether they feel like it or not. Because here's the trick. You, you don't always feel like it. You don't always feel like going to the gym or exercising. You know, Daniel, who, who does the running, you know, who's um, was, was now moved to Pretoria, um, he'll tell you that if you want to be a top athlete, you need to show up, whether you feel like it or not. And I remember hearing a story of, of, of Michael Johnson. Uh, he was the guy who held... The, both the 200-meter and 400-meter world records before Usain Bolt and Wade van Niekerk broke it, <laughs> okay, respectively. Um, and, I mean, we, when you look at Usain Bolt, I mean, he's built to be a sprinter. He's tall. He's, what, what's he, six foot six, six foot five, six foot six, somewhere around there, but he's quite tall. He's muscular but not bulky. Um, I mean, you can just see he's a speed machine, I don't think anyone has been built for speed, <laughs> maybe in the history of humanity, like, like that guy. But, but if you've ever seen Michael Johnson, I mean, you, many of you guys are too young to have seen him, but maybe you've seen him okay, on, on videos and so on. He was, he was shorter. In fact, he was a little too short, actually, to be a top sprinter. Okay? He, he had a, like a protruding bottom lip, you know. <laughs> and, and he always used to, his style, he ran upright like this with his chest out. And he, actually, his style was a little bit too upright. And, and, and um, so he had a lot of things going against him. His style wasn't perfect. His, his height wasn't perfect. And his coach said, and yet, he's, the world records that he had, and he was the first guy, I think, in the history that had a world record both in the 400 and the 200 meter. Those records stood for decades. In fact, so much so that many people thought they'd probably never be broken. And his coach said the reason, even though he wasn't perfectly built for sprinting, the reason why he had such records that lasted so long and why it was so much better than the competition was because he always showed up at practice. He says, no, the other guys would, would sort of, you know, always find excuses and now and then they'll sort of not be there, the other athletes. He said, Michael Johnson was always there. He said, even when he canceled practice because the weather was too bad, because there was a storm, 
He'd go out to the track, and, it, and Michael would be there in the rain, in the storm, running, practicing, doing everything as though the sun was shining. He always showed up. And that's why, despite the fact that he wasn't perfectly built as an athlete, he had world records that lasted for decades. There's a power of just being present, of just being there, whether you feel like it or not. And there's a power to being there, to being present, to showing up at small group, at church, even when you don't feel like it. None of the important things that God asks you to do at small group every week can happen if you're not there. Um, and, and, and then he says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. We're talking about habits. Okay? Gathering together can become a habit, like he did for Peter and John. Uh, Peter and, 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 yeah, Peter and John, uh, that, that we saw in Acts chapter 4. But neglecting to gather together can also become a habit. And, and here's, the, here's the catch. It's easier to make not gathering together a habit than it is to make gathering together a habit. Because it's easier not to gather. It's easier to stay away. It's easier not to be there. There are always reasons why, why we feel like not being there. And that can become a habit. But, but the writer to the Hebrews says, no, don't, make, don't let that become a habit. Let the opposite become a habit. Okay? I think it was... Um, Vince Lombardi was one of the greatest, probably the greatest American football coach of all times. He said, winning is a habit, but unfortunately so is losing. Likewise, fellowshipping is a habit, but uh, unfortunately so is neglecting to gather together. Um, yes, they did some research in America. I can't remember the guy who did the research. I, I had his name. Uh, but I forgot it now. But uh, they sort of put those caps onto people's head where they like measured the brain waves and stuff. And, and while people were gathering together, while people were in, in, in each other's presence, they would put the, the, this stuff on and measure the brain waves. And they found that just by spending time together, people's brain waves start harmonizing and start syncing with one another. Just by spending time together. And, and I mean, we know this. You, you start becoming like the people you spend time with. Okay, there are ways in which we influence one another, and 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 this research, you know, with the brainwaves just confirms that, um, in ways that we don't even understand. We become like the people we spend time with. You're saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you trying to encourage me or discourage me to go to small group? <laughs> Have you seen my small group? I'm not so sure I want to become like them. <laughs> Maybe they don't want to become like you either. <laughs> but. Yes, um, the, the, but, but the, here's the catch. Um, not only should we practice, uh, should we do preparation and, and presence, be present, but we should also, this third step is participation. Not only thinking about, considering how to provoke one another, but then when we gather together, actually provoking one another, encouraging one another, as it says there, participating. But, but here's the thing I, I, I want to show you that solves that problem of, uh, okay, I'm going to imperfect people that don't always love and don't always do the right thing, don't always do good works, you know, and I'm going to spend time with them and I'm going to become like them. Doesn't that mean I'm going to, you know, grow in the wrong directions? They're going to influence me in the wrong ways? It says in Acts 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and 
the fellowship. Now, I, I quoted the, 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 the ESV there, which is a literal translation. The NIV and so on might, might actually state it differently. But it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. In the Greek, that's actually what it literally says. It doesn't say to fellowship. It says the fellowship. Which means it's a specific fellowship. It's not just general fellowship. It's a specific fellowship. When we get together, it's we're getting together in the fellowship. What is the fellowship? That means that, in a sense, all the churches gathering tonight, all across Joburg and South Africa and wherever else, are actually participating, not just in fellowship, but in the fellowship. In other words... The fellowship, the ultimate fellowship that has always existed. The fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, our God is a God who is fundamentally diverse, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and also fundamentally one and unified. One God, three persons. And therefore, a God that is capable of fellowship within the Trinity. And the Trinity has been experiencing koinonia, fellowship, for all of eternity. And when we gather together, here's the thing. When we gather together, we participate in the fellowship, the koinonia of the Trinity. Because God is in us and in our midst. Isn't that amazing? I think one day in heaven we're going to look back and see what we had. And we're going to think, how on earth could I have been so stupid and not have appreciated and so undervalued what I had? Because it was so much more profound, so much more powerful than I realized. I wasn't just carrying with a bunch of friends. I was entering with my friends into the fellowship of the Trinity, into the eternal community and koinonia of the Trinity themselves. God inviting us into the fellowship, His fellowship. And there are other scriptures like um, 1 John 1, I think it's verse 3, that says that. And our fellowship, same word, koinonia, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm not just sucking this out of my thumb. The Bible actually says so. We have to commit ourselves, not just to fellowship in general, but to the fellowship, entering into fellowship with God. That means that when we get together, we are, I mean, as a Christian because Christ through His Spirit lives in us, we're always part of that fellowship. But there's a special way in which we actually reflect that fellowship when we come together as Christians. And we put it on display to the world. And when we neglect fellowship, we are actually neglecting the fellowship. In other words, when you're not there, when you don't show up for church and for small group, it's not just your friends missing you. In a sense, God's missing you. Because that, it's the fellowship. And, and just to show you how committed God is to getting us into that fellowship. I mean, because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion against Him, because of our fallenness, because um, we have rejected Him, we, we, we have no right to that fellowship, the fellowship of the Trinity. We don't have a right to it. We, we, we don't belong there. And yet God wanted us to be part of that fellowship so much that he was willing to break that fellowship so that he can draw us into it. And that's what happened on the cross when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God himself broke the fellowship 
the koinonia of the Trinity, where the Son, Jesus, was excluded from the fellowship so that we can be included in the fellowship. Jesus died so that you can be part of the fellowship. Can you see how desperately God wants you to be part of the fellowship, part of his family, part of his koinonia? That's how committed he is to getting us to experience the fellowship. He was willing to die for it. And what's more, I'm thinking of spending time with Christians and becoming like those we spend time with. And the fact that those we spend time with are not perfect, just like us. Isn't that a problem? You know, aren't we going to, you know, just... Aren't we going to help each other in the wrong direction? But remember, you're getting together not with, just with people, but with people who are filled with God. People who have God inside of them. You're fellowshipping. It's the fellowship where God himself is present. But not only that. The previous habit we, we spoke about, I, I can't remember whether I mentioned it here. No, I didn't. It was in Randburg. But the, the other one was the breaking of bread, which is the habit of breaking bread, communion, and we're going to have communion now in a moment, which says, because Christ's body was broken for us, we made well, we, we made one, we, we, we eat the bread, we drink the cup, and we celebrate not only what Christ has done for us, but by eating the bread and drinking the cup, we're saying, Christ was broken for us, Christ whose blood was shed for us, we're receiving that, we're drinking it in, we're eating it, we're making it part of us. We are committed, in other words, to covenantally become more like Christ. In other words, when we get together in the fellowship, you're getting together, yes, with imperfect people, but with people who, are, who have devoted themselves, who, have, who are radically committed to becoming more like Jesus, to receiving more like Jesus, by f- to feed on Jesus, become more like Him. And so we are together becoming more like Jesus when we are part of the fellowship. And... As part of the fellowship, we must stir one another up, activate one another to love and good works. We must encourage one another. And, and this is important. It's, it's so easy to be discouraged. The world is discouraging. We ourselves and our human weakness and fallenness and frailty, we discourage ourselves by failing ourselves. Other people discourage us by failing us. You know, things just go wrong. It's easy to become discouraged. And therefore, we need to encourage one another, strengthen one another. And I always think of encouragement in this way. Um, in the week we were, um, Andre was there as well. We were talking to she- Trevor and Sharon about kids' church and, and, and you know, how, how they train people, uh, you know, to, to be able to minister the gospel to kids. And it was, it was real fun. I think we had, like, a meeting that should have been an hour. It turned out being two and three-quarters hours. And, and, and at some stage we had a good laugh because, you know, Sharon was talking about, you know, and, and, you know, people, they give people opportunity to start sharing with the kids, do a lesson, and then, you know, if they get the flatty, you know, that's the word she used, if they get the flatty, you know, we can jump in and, and help them and encourage them and so on. And we all had a good laugh at that, um, you know, and I, I was just thinking, you know, when you get a flat uh, tire or when you get a f- flat battery, you know, you're driving, and, and, and you, when your battery's flat, you can't start the car. You're stuck. And when you've got a flat battery, what do you need? You need someone else to come with their car to hook up, to take jumper cables, hook up their battery to your battery, and give you a jump start to give you, get you going again. And that's what encouragement is like. Discouragement deactivates you. 
It presses the pause button in your life. Encouragement places the pray button, play button in your life. It gets you going again. And, and sometimes you just need, when you go to small group, to have someone take Holy Spirit jumper cables and connect it to your heart and to their heart and just jumpstart you with some encouragement. And sometimes you need to be that person who says, come on, let me hook you up. Let me give you that jump start that you need and activate you and, and get you going again. Um, now, let me jump to the last point. And excuse me, I'm going a little bit over time. Uh, the, the ushers can get, get the offering ready, uh, the, the communion ready so long. Um, so not only do we need preparation, consider how to stir one another up. Not only do we need present, not presence, not neglecting the gathering of ourselves together. Not only do we need participation, actually stirring one another up, encouraging one another. You know, it's participation in what God is doing. God wants to stir us up to love and good works. He wants to encourage us. But we also need perspective. And it says, all the more, let me just get that scripture up again. Uh, Wrong one. There we go. That last phrase, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. In other words, we must gather now out of an eternal perspective of what Jesus is going to do in the future. And, and, and this, is, this is actually amazingly powerful when you think about it. Number one, what will happen on the day? On the day we will be judged. And what will we be judged according to? I, I want to submit to you, even if you get everything else in your life right, if you don't get this right... If you don't get fellowship, being part of the fellowship right, then everything else in your life that you have accomplished will not really matter. Now, I'm not saying that everything else is not important. All that I'm saying is that this is all important. This is most important. And when we get judged on the the day, Jesus wants to stand by us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You jump-started my saints. You activated them. You encouraged them. You spurred them on to love and good deeds. You encouraged them to become more like me, and they encouraged you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Um, Not only that, on the day, something amazing is going to happen. On the day when Jesus returns... We will become like him. In 1 John 2 verse 1 it says, Brothers and sisters, beloved, we do not know what we will be, but this we know, that when we see him, we will be like him. We'll be like him, we'll become like him. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll become like him in terms of doing the right thing for the right reason. Something that for now we fell on. Regularly. And and we're discouraged in it. In other words, Here's the thing. When we, when we partake, when we participate in the fellowship, and we encourage one another, we spur one another on to, to become more like Christ, to love and good deeds, we are encouraging one another to become what we will inevitably be on that day, on the day. In other words, we're encouraging, what we're encouraging one another to do will inevitably succeed. We will not fail. Jesus will complete the good work that he started in us. Um, C.S. Lewis has this thing that he says. He says, You have never met a mere mortal. He says, the worst, the most sinful, the most weak, the most pathetic person you will ever meet, Christian you will ever meet, 
will one day be a, some, a creature of such beauty and glory that if you saw them today, you would be sorely tempted to fall down before them and worship them. In other words, when we participate in the fellowship, especially in the light of the day in which, people, in which our salvation will be completed, we are looking past who the other person is and seeing who they will be and encouraging them to now become who they will inevitably be when Christ returns. Isn't that amazing? We are encouraging one another when we fellowship with one another, to become who God will inevitably make us. That's powerful. When we do that, we participate in what God is doing in people's lives. So, so we need not only preparation to consider how to stir one another, not only presence being there, not only participation, but we need perspective. We need to, pers- we need to do all of that from the, from the eternal perspective of Seeing who God will make us and and doing that. And there's also an urgency of that day drawing near. Thank you very much. An urgency of that day drawing near. We don't have forever to do this work of God. We only have as long as we live to reach those who live while we live. So we basically gather in fellowship, in anticipation. We, We participate in anticipation of what God will do inevitably. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.